Good morning. I'm going to be reading this morning, going through 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 25 through 40. If you've been with us over the past several weeks, you know we've been going through the book of 1 Corinthians. Um, it's been some very uh, challenging words in here, some very convicting words. Um, so we've come to a section in Paul's writing where he's dealing with marriage and sexuality. And we've been on this for a couple of weeks now, and so we come to another passage where he's actually addressing singles in the church. And it helps us to remember here that this letter that we have from the Apostle Paul to the church at Corinth is only half of the correspondence, right? Presumably Paul is responding to a series of questions and concerns that he had about the people in Corinth, a letter they had written him previously. And so since we don't have that letter, uh, we're left to kind of figure out some of their questions. We come to this section where he's talking to singles and to widows uh, and giving his counsel. Uh, so with that being said, let's turn our attention to the reading of God's Word, starting in verse 25, and we'll read through verse 40, the end of the chapter. It says, Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none. And those who mourn as though they were not mourning. And those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it, for the present form of the world is passing away. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious only about the things of the Lord, how to please him. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or the betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly towards his betrothed, if his passions are strong and it has to be, let him do as he wishes. Let them marry. It is no sin." But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control, and has determined this in his heart to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So then, he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to marry whoever she wishes, only in the Lord. Yet in my judgment, she is happier she remains as she is, and I think that I too have the Spirit of God. The grass withers and the flower fade, but the Word of the Lord stands forever. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, Lord, we come to a passage of Scripture this morning. Uh, Lord, that's a challenging word to those of us in our singleness uh, in this church, Lord. But also, God, You give us principles within this passage, God, that ought to revolutionize our marriages. 
Lord, this morning as we come before Your Word, will You humble us? Lord, help us to listen carefully to what it is You're saying. God, will You help us to see the beauty of the Gospel, Lord, in the way that You give new purpose to both marriage and singleness. God, through these words, would You give us a better vision to pass on to the children in this church, Lord, the students in this church, Lord, that marriage is not the end goal, but Lord, that You have something more beautiful for them. Lord, Your words do challenge us, they convict us, and at times even they confuse us. So Lord, will You bring clarity? Lord, may my words fall flat. Lord, but may Your word be exalted this morning. Lord, may it be heard. Lord, we ask all these things in Christ's name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, uh, so the year's 2004. Uh, I have a story for you. Um, so 2004, I was in fifth grade at the time. And, uh, you know, somewhere around fifth or sixth grade, right, there becomes that desire that it's time to start looking for a girlfriend, right? You're looking around, all your buddies are getting girlfriends. And uh, I realized that um, I don't have a girlfriend. So I start thinking, all right, what am I going to have to do uh, in order to be cool like my buddies and have a girlfriend, right? So at the time... Uh, you know, some of you might remember this. Jesse McCartney was really popular, uh, and Justin Bieber, old school Bieber, was really popular. And so I decided, you know, all these guys that have girlfriends, one common denominator is they all had really cool hair. <laughs> so I decided in about fifth grade, all right, it's time to leave the buzz cut in the past. And it's time to get some swooshy hair, right? So, so I did. I spent months going through that awkward process of growing out your hair, right? And so I had the little, you know, the yeah, little hair flip. Um, Dad was amazed I didn't end up with some problem in my neck from doing that, right? So, so I grew out my hair. Much to my parents' frustration, I went and started shopping at more expensive clothing stores because I had to impress the females, right? And so I do, I go through this, you know, several month process of overhauling my look and growing out my hair and, um, you know, so I'm in class one day, I'm headed to like second period biology or something, you know, whatever it is we're learning fifth grade, maybe not biology, but I'm sitting there and uh, it finally happens, right? I get a note passed to me from a cute girl in class and she wants to go out, whatever that means in fifth grade, we're going to go out. So I was like, yes, the plan has worked, right? The hair... The shirts, you know, all the clothes I bought, like it all, it paid off. So I've got the girlfriend, which I'm pretty sure for us at that point looked like me walking her to the bus, I think, in the afternoons. Um, and so for several months this goes on, right? I'm feeling like I finally arrived, like I'm cool. And uh, somewhere along the way, my more practical side took over, and I realized this is a whole lot of work to keep up this mane of hair. Uh, buzz cut was way easier. So after school one day, I go back and I get my hair buzzed off. Show up at school the next day, go to the same exact class that I had received that initial note from, and to my surprise, I get another note, but it was not uh, her expressing her feelings of affection for me. It was her telling me that she would no longer be participating in this relationship. (laughs) Because apparently I was not cute without my cool swooshy hair. So, uh, and clearly that really scarred me because I'm still talking about it 15 years later, right? But, But all that to say, right? Singleness can be really difficult, right? Uh, if we've all been there, uh, there's awkward dating stories. You make a fool of yourself trying to impress somebody. Singleness can be really, really difficult. It can be awkward. It can bring up a lot of insecurities. Uh, 
And maybe even if you were, not like me, maybe, maybe if you were content to be single, right, there's still the expectation and the pressure you feel from family members who certainly mean well, uh, but they're looking at you like, hey, you know, you ever going to get married? You ever going to actually sell down, find somebody, right? So uh, even if you're content, you still feel that kind of pressure there. Singleness can be really awkward and really difficult. And so... Interestingly enough, right, there's not a whole lot written in the Bible about singleness and how we're to navigate this crazy world of dating. And so it probably shouldn't surprise us much that the Apostle Paul got some questions about singleness. And we know from Kevin's sermon last week that there had started uh, a belief had started kind of working its way into the church that marriage maybe didn't have such a prominent place in the church. Maybe marriage wasn't all that holy. And if you really wanted to be kind of the elite level of holy, you should avoid marriage uh, to secure undevoted, undivided devotion to the Lord. And so Paul gets questions about should these people be allowed to marry? And so Paul, in his counsel to singles, he goes on about 15 verses here addressing both the single and content to be so, uh, the single and waiting, and the singles who ended up that way not by their own choice, but their widows. And so Paul gives uh, some terrific counsel. And so starting in verse 25, we need to address this first verse here, right? So as Paul kind of begins unpacking his counsel to singles, he says, Now concerning the betrothed, the betrothed just means those eligible for marriage. It says, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one by who, or, or as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. And so, at face value, this seems a little like Paul saying that what he's about to say to singles is of less value, it's less authoritative, less inspired. Uh, but we want to say on the front end that this advice, this, this counsel Paul is giving is not uninspired advice. This is not of Paul's wisdom. What Paul is saying is, is that, hey, when it comes to issues of divorce, marriage, sexuality, right, all of these, I can look back at the teachings of Jesus. I can look at the Old Testament and I can easily reference some verses and quote scripture to deal with these certain issues. But on the issue of singles, Paul is saying, I don't, yeah, I can't look back at the teachings of Jesus to address issues of singleness. But that doesn't mean that what he's saying is less inspired, right? He goes on to say, he said it's by the Lord's mercy that he's been found trustworthy. And then in verse 40, he says that he too has the Spirit of God, right? So the idea is, is that just because there are no verses in the Old Testament, just because Jesus did not speak directly to this, he says, the Spirit of Christ is in me. I'm not speaking of my own authority. I'm an apostle called by Jesus. So I get to speak to this with authority, right? And because it's included in the Bible, we know that this is no less divinely inspired. All right, so what does he counsel to singles? Let's pick up in verse 26. He says, I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. Alright, so let's stop right there, okay? So, Paul in his advice to singles, it's very strange, before he even gets going... Giving, and we're going to pull out about five things out of the passage that Paul lays out there for singles. But it's interesting that before he even gets into some of the finer uh, points of his counsel for singles, he talks about the present distress. He said, I think that in this, pre- in this time of present distress, it's good for you to remain as you are. 
Well, what in the world is he talking about? Present distress. All right, so different people have different takes on this. It's possible there was a plague going around in Corinth at this point that would have uh, been making its way through Corinth. It would have made a lot of people sick and possibly die. Uh, we know there was a famine going on at this point in time. Uh, so maybe, and there was also a great deal of persecution. So is it possible maybe that Paul's just being practical here? Uh, you know, in view of everything that's going on, it's impossible or difficult to provide for your family. So stay, so stay single. Stay as you are. Don't get married. But it's interesting that Paul goes on in verse 29 and seems to kind of expound on what he means by this present distress. So in verse 29 I said, This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. Alright, so so now Paul's not talking about just a present distress. He's talking about an appointed time. So regardless of maybe whatever uh, trials and difficulties were going on in Corinth, one thing is incredibly clear is that the Apostle Paul views the present distress as being something that reinforces the notion that this appointed time is drawing near. Right, so Paul was looking at the sufferings experienced by the people in Corinth. He's looking at the trials they're experiencing, whether persecution, famine, or plague. He's looking at these things, and it reminds Paul that he is not at his permanent home, and neither are they. Paul's looking at these trials, these circumstances, and he's saying the appointed time continues to draw near. See, so Paul is living with an eye towards eternity, realizing that every day that he is alive is either one day closer to Christ returning or Paul going to be with Christ. Paul realized that, a, that the appointed time was drawing near, which for Paul meant there was work to be done. See, Paul saw this appointed time. Paul was living in light of eternity in such a way that it shaped the way that he viewed this life, including singleness and marriage. See, this reality of eternity and our immortality, it tends to make us uncomfortable. It's not something we like to really think about very much. It's certainly not something we talk about on our wedding days, right? Um, but Paul brings this up in his advice to singles, and it serves as the foundation for his advice that he gives to singles. And it's out of this realization that the appointed time is drawing near. It's out of this that the heart of Paul actually comes through. He says, uh, let's see. Sorry, I lost my place here. Uh, he goes on. Paul says, in view of this appointed time, it's better that you remain as you are. Uh, so, verse 35, this is the heart of Paul in this whole passage. He says, I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you. He's not out to make people question everything and overthink. He says, but to promote good order and secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. See, Paul's counsel to singles that we're about to get into was built on this foundation, realizing that eternity was close at hand. He's realizing his own mortality, that he had one life to serve the kingdom. And he says, so I'm writing to you and I'm about to give this advice not to lay an extra burden on you, but to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. So then if this is Paul's heart and his desire, what is his counsel? Uh, picking up in verses 26 and 27. He says, I think that in view of the present distress, like we just talked about, it's good, to rem- it's good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. So the first thing that Paul would have us understand 
is that marriage is not the priority, right? So to those in a state of singleness, again, whether by timing, choice, death, divorce, right, singleness, in that state, marriage is not the top priority. Uh, in verse 24, uh, we didn't read that this week. Kevin read it last week. He says, "In whatever you were, con- whatever condition you were called, so there remain with God." What Paul's getting at is this idea of contentment in Christ. He says, "Marriage is not the priority. If you're married, great, stay married. If you're single, that's fine, stay single. Don't seek a wife. Don't make it the priority." See, in Paul's culture, and very much in ours too, right, it said that the sum of your existence was your sexuality and your marital status. And we talked a few weeks ago with Kevin about how we are not the sum of our sexual desires and we are also not the sum of our marital status. Paul says you are in Christ. Be content. In other words, Paul's saying that marriage is not necessary. Marriage is not the end goal of human existence. Right, whenever we think about marriage, right, that's kind of that defining uh, coming of age thing that we all look forward to, right? I'm now married. Uh, and Paul says, guys, that's not the end goal of your existence. Marriage is great, but it's not the end goal. And so often we're tempted to look at marriage as that thing that's going to finally make us feel accepted, that's going to make us feel valued. It's going to satisfy the deepest longings of my heart. It's going to give me that purpose that I'm missing. And we look for marriage to give us those things. And Paul is saying, guys, that is not where you find identity. And it's not where you find purpose. And it's not where the deepest longings of your heart are satisfied. Marriage is not the end game. It's not the most important thing. So this is Paul debunking our Jerry Maguire theology, right? Uh, we all love the movie Jerry Maguire, even if you've never seen the movie Jerry Maguire, right? We all love that line where he runs through the door and he says, You complete me, right? And it just like, oh, you know, it's good. It just, you know, all the girls crying and everything. It's great. Paul's saying that that's, that's not true. We're not completed by a spouse. We're not completed by another person. Only Christ can complete us. If we are in Christ, we are complete. We are lacking in nothing. In chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians, Kevin reminded us in that first sermon that he preached in 1 Corinthians that Paul reminds the church of their position in Christ, knowing that he was going to have to give them some hard words. And if you're reading a letter, it's kind of easy to remember that Paul said this back in the first few paragraphs. But for us, as we're kind of breaking this down by weeks, it's easy to forget, right? It just seems like one hard message after another. But guys, in the first chapter, Paul calls this church sanctified. He says that they are eternally guiltless, held up and sustained by Jesus, called into an eternal fellowship with Him. The people of Corinth... The church at Grace Fellowship, we have been called into an eternal fellowship with God the Father through Jesus Christ. We've been indwelled with the Holy Spirit. We've been made guiltless. We are being currently held and sustained by Jesus. We are lacking in nothing. Ephesians 1 says that we have been given given all things in Christ. And what this means is that whether we are single or married, we are no longer operating out of a sense of need or out of a deficit. You and I have an abundance in Christ. We need nothing. The single person in Christ is more complete than the married person outside of Christ will ever be. If you are single and in Christ, 
You are a whole person. You do not need anyone to make you complete. Yes, marriage compliments. My wife has so many more strengths than I do. And praise God, I need those. Uh, she keeps me on time, right? All of these things are great, but she doesn't make me whole. Christ makes me whole. So the next thing that Paul says, the next counsel he gives to singles, verse 28, he says that marriage is not a sin. He says, but if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she is not. So Paul says, just in case you start thinking that marriage is for uh, you know, junior varsity Christians or weak Christians. Marriage is no sin, right? We go back all the way to the Garden of Eden. Genesis 1 and 2, God creates marriage and He says that the husband should leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. And he calls that a good thing. Uh, marriage in Ephesians 5, written by the same guy, by the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 5, Paul paints a picture of marriage that says, hey, marriage is a picture of Christ and His church. It's a picture of the gospel that we hold out before the world that shows them a glimpse of Christ. And then Paul encourages them in that passage for the husband to love the wife as his own body, nourishing her, cherishing her. Marriage is not something that Paul is shunning here. It's not something that he's calling sin. Marriage is a unique tool that God uses to sanctify and protect His people from sexual immorality. It's a method that He uses to broadcast His glory and to make disciples, right? To raise children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Marriage is a good thing. Paul is not speaking negatively about this life or marriage. As Paul Barnett says, he says, His attitudes towards this world are informed by His hope in a glory-laden future. The hope that Paul has in the eternity that's awaiting him completely shaped everything, including his view of marriage. So what's his next counsel? If marriage is not a sin, the third thing he says to the singles is, if you're burning with passion, get married, right? Verses 36 through 38. It says, if anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly towards his betrothed, if his passions are strong, and it has to be, let him do as he wishes. Let them marry. It is no sin. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control, has determined this in his heart to keep hers his betrothed, he will do well. Alright, so Paul is not saying that marriage is a sin. And he's also saying, uh, as he said in verse 9 of this chapter as well, where he said, To the unmarried and to the widows, I say that it's good for them to remain single as I am, but if they cannot exercise self-control... They should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. So Paul's third piece of advice to singles is, if you are controlled by your passions, you cannot exercise self-control, then you ought to get married. God gave us marriage as a means of protection against sexual immorality. And he says, if the opportunity presents itself, you are free to marry. It is no sin. Paul does give sort of a caveat to widows here, but I think it certainly applies to all singles. In verse 39, he says, A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to marry whom she wishes only in the Lord. Right? So probably the one caveat here that's worth throwing in is, if you're single, you're eligible for marriage. Good, get married if that's what you want to do. If your passions are out of control, get married only in the Lord is that phrase that Paul uses there, meaning marry a believer. It's always unwise to marry an unbeliever. It says marry someone in the Lord. 
fourth, fourth piece of advice that Paul gives to singles. If you'll read uh, verse 28, Paul says, Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. And then in verses 32 through 34, he said, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or the betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. So Paul's advice here is, he says, uh, basically singleness provides you with a unique freedom to serve the church that marriage doesn't offer you, right? So he says... uh, in verse, 20, in verse 28, says, those who marry will have worldly troubles. And that doesn't mean necessarily secular bad troubles. He says, if you're married, then it brings with it concerns of this world, right? Temporary things. Um, so if you're married, you know, you kind of figure out, once you get married, there, you know, it's like Pandora's box opens up about things you have to worry about, right? I'd never thought about something like life insurance, renter's insurance, car maintenance, uh, retirement, right? Like all of these things start coming along once you get married. Buying, selling houses, renovating houses, job changes. And then you have children come along. Um, and I've seen all of you, don't like children cause any degree of stress. So we can move on from that. Um, but, but right, I mean, there, there's this smorgasbord of stress that comes along with marriage, right? There are added concerns that come with marriage. Paul says in verse 28 that he would have us be free of those. He said that the married man and woman, uh, they're concerned with how to please their husband and their wife. So marriage takes a tremendous amount of work, right? Communication is hard. Arguments happen. Reconciliation takes work. Um, so one thing that I, I hear at weddings all the time, and it's always just kind of rubbed me the wrong way. Like I know what they're trying to say. But, you know, there's there's this thing that people say, you know, uh, the burdens are halved and the joys are doubled. And that's true, right? Like whenever whenever something happens, it's really nice to have a wife there that helps and walks alongside me in those burdens. But there's also a reality too that you are bringing two sinners together with individual problems and concerns. Their problems become your problems, right? Their sin affects you. Uh, the things that frustrate them at work then come home and frustrate you at work, right? Like there is added burden and anxiety and stress put on it. And all of those things are good, right? There's nothing wrong with raising children. There's nothing wrong with walking alongside your wife or your husband, sharing their burdens. There's nothing wrong with renovating a house, buying, selling houses. All of those things are good and all of those things are things that God uses to grow and to sanctify us. But it is a reality that Paul says that when you are married, it shrinks the margins of your time so that you are consumed with marriage and the things of marriage and it limits your time of availability over here. Now that right there is where the world would say, see, there it is. Marriage is an outdated institution. There's absolutely no point in this. It adds stress. It adds burdens. You know, the whole ball and chain metaphor, right? So why in the world do you get married? And that's not what Paul's saying at all. He's not trying to say that marriage is a bad thing. It's in these things that we are sanctified and God is glorified. In the raising of your children, in the renovating of houses, all of those things, God is glorified and we are sanctified 
But singleness offers you freedom only to be anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please Him, how to be holy in body and spirit, is what Paul says in verses 32 and 34. So Paul is saying that singleness is great, maybe even ideal. Singleness is ideal if it is leveraged for kingdom advancement, right? Where the world says singleness is great, there's no sense rushing to get married, right? And I was reading on Pew Research this morning, and they're showing that trends are continuing to show that my generation is getting married later and later. Uh, up to a quarter of my generation still will not have gotten married even once by the time they're 45, uh, right? We're, we keep pushing marriage back, and it's not out of a heart of service, right? That's not why the world says to keep pushing marriage off, but Paul is. Paul says that when you're single, you are uniquely free to be concerned about the things of the Lord, how to please Him, how to be holy in body and spirit. You are uniquely free to serve the church in ways that, frankly, married people can't. See, Paul doesn't talk about singles as being second-tier Christians. He doesn't talk about them as being less useful. In fact, he talks about them as being power players in advancing the kingdom. Singleness offers you that freedom. But I will say, if you are single, the counsel Paul is giving you this morning is to remember that your singleness is not for you. If you are single, your singleness is not for you. It's not to be a time of carefree, no concerns, live like I want to, this is all about me. That is not the way the Bible paints a picture of singleness. The Bible paints a picture of singleness that they would be the first to serve. The first to be there. The first to help around the church. The first to meet with people in the church. The first to serve. Why? Because you're uniquely free to do so. Your singleness is not for you. The invitation, whether widowed or single by timing or circumstance, the challenge is is to let Christ redeem your singleness. It's not a time for you. It is a time for Christ. Your singleness is not for you. The fifth thing that Paul says about singleness, verse 38. He says, So then, he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. So get that. I mean, this is Paul again completely taking the cultural narrative and flipping it on its head, right? We don't look at singleness like it's better, typically, especially in the church. Oftentimes, in the American church, we have a tendency to view marriage as a sign of maturity and usefulness and singleness as being less mature and less useful. And that's not what Paul says at all. Paul says, if you don't marry, you do better. Why? Because you are free to serve in ways that people who are married cannot. So singles, whatever category of singleness you might be, Paul is talking about you as a vital piece of the church. Not a second tier. You're not in the dugout while the, while the rest of us are out uh, starting in the game. Paul says, no, no, no. If you're single, you have a unique opportunity to serve the church and advance the kingdom. So singles and widows, we need you. We need you in the church. We need you. We need your wisdom, your service. You have an opportunity to serve that many of us do not. We need you. You're not second tier. You're not second rate. So, if that's the advice that Paul gives to singles, 
that marriage is not the priority, you're not completed by another person, your singleness is not for you. I think what's really interesting is is that that principle actually says a lot to our marriages. See, Paul is not out to demean our marriages. He's not out to place less importance on them. Paul is actually out to bestow beauty and new purpose on our marriages. Verses 29 and 30, verses 29 through 31. Let's read there real quick and see how the gospel reshapes our marriages. It says, This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of the world is passing away. What Paul's talking about here is that the kingdom of Christ is here now. Right? Christ's kingdom is advancing. God's redemptive work through Christ continues to spread in Chilton County, in Alabama, in the United States, and in the world. God's kingdom continues to advance, pushing back on the forces of darkness and Satan. And he says that kingdom, as it advances now and it will reach consummation in eternity, that kingdom completely reshapes everything. He says, let those who are married act as though they were not. And we know that Paul's not encouraging rampant divorce. He's covered that in the beginning of this chapter. So what is he talking about? He's telling us, those of us who are in marriages, that marriage is not the end goal. Marriage is not the top priority. He's telling us that the point of our marriage is not just mutual happiness. We are not in marriage just for the happiness of the other person, although that's part of it. The end goal of marriage is kingdom advancement. The end goal of our marriages is to see God's kingdom advance, to see our marriages become a tool in His hand to further the kingdom. So, how do we do that? What in the world is it like to have our marriages used as a means for kingdom advancement? For starters, follow the advice of the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 5. Nurture and cherish one another. Love one another as your own bodies. Take care of one another. Love one another. But that's not the end goal. What is the end goal? That by loving one another and having a healthy marriage, the world gets the best picture of Christ and His church that it possibly can by seeing our marriage. That's the point. Open your home to those in the church and those out of it. Seek to see your marriage not become... Kind of a, kind of the end game of our own happiness, but actually seek to see your marriage become a channel of God's grace to other people. Open your homes to other people. Use it as an opportunity to build relationships. Marriage affords you that great opportunity. And then raise children that aren't just well behaved, but that love Christ. Right? Marriage gives us a unique opportunity to have children. Not just take cool Instagram pictures with them and deck them out in like little polos and stuff. But the end goal is we want to see people raised up, a new generation raised, not just that behave well and have good morals and are upstanding citizens, go to college, have a great career. No, God's vision for us in raising children is that we would see more disciples made in Christ's image. 
Marriage affords you that opportunity. So again, Paul is not out to lessen the importance of our marriages. He's not out to say that marriage is somehow lesser than singleness. What he is out to say is this, and my hope is that we'd be challenged by this, and that no matter what station of life we are in, this thought would be on our minds. How can I leverage my station in life right now for kingdom advancement? How can I leverage my life right now to see people come to know Christ? If I'm single, great. How can I leverage that? How can I make use of the time that God has given me, the availability He's given me to see people come to know Christ? Okay, I'm married. I don't have as much time as I used to have. That's fine. How do I leverage that for kingdom advancement? The appointed time is drawing near. And God would have His church use the various gifts He's given us, whether it's the gift of singleness or the gift of marriage, to advance His kingdom, to make much of Him so that His glory is seen throughout the world. Lives are transformed and He is glorified. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank You for the gift of marriage and the gift of singleness. God, I thank You for each and every person in this room, Lord, in the various stages You have us in. God, You didn't call us all to be married and You didn't call us all to be single. God, and yet each and every person in this room represents someone that You are ready and willing to work through and in for Your kingdom's advancement, Lord, for Your glory and for our good. God, will You teach us that we completely undercut our own joy when we live, whether in singleness or in marriage, just for our own happiness. God, will You give us a bigger vision for our lives? Will You help us to pour ourselves out for Your name and Your renown? God, because that's where our true joy is found. God, thank You for Your Word this morning. Lord, we love You. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.